0: Um, there shouldn't be any issues where maybe a claim was issued during lockdown or um, um, in a period where perhaps the tribunal hasn't been working normally because of COVID. Um, so anyone who is worrying about, you know, could there still be a claim stuck in the post somewhere? Um, hopefully that isn't the case. Um, they are experiencing a real increase in the number of claims. Um, that they are receiving as you might imagine with um, what's going on in the economy that kind of goes with the territory um, here in Wales I am seeing things being listed very far into the future and um, we're not as bad here as the south of England and some parts of London um, places like Croydon are already listing cases into 2022 so we're not as bad as that here and certainly there are lots of things that we were learning about yesterday that are being done to um oil the wheels of the machinery and really get everything going so i thought you might be interested in that now um as luck would have it obviously being hosted with you with yoke today and we've got gareth to help me answer this question our first question is actually around um recruitment and um somebody asking a question about HR graduates, new graduates, I mean, the same could be said of law graduates. Um, Traditionally, any job that has been done by people sitting in the same room as their supervisor, um, observing what they do, learning their job, that way it's got to be a real concern that we're not able to offer those sorts of training opportunities effectively when we are scattered to the four winds um working from home And um, so um question there about you know what is the future going to look like for recruitment and whilst i give gareth an opportunity to start formulating his answer um i've tried to think about it if i was a, advising a law graduate um, what to be doing um, and i think there are actually some advantages of what's been happening um, i think if people are attending a zoom interview that perhaps that enables them to somehow be more authentically them i don't know if you'd agree with that um, whilst attending that, it's there's something more comfortable, I think, about using these things these days than perhaps nervous people attending an interview where they've had to travel and then sit around waiting in a waiting room and then um and then arrive. So maybe there are some advantages to the interview process um of using these sorts of technologies in terms of once people have got a job and how they might um, combat some of the barriers that are happening around not being able to be physically in the same place as somebody they're working with and um, my advice to any hr graduates looking to gain experience would be just be really vocal i think um be be there for your The person that you work for and be saying hello i'm here can i help you with anything be persistent you know once you've done a task once you've done something well um somebody's much more likely to think about you the next time they've got something so be in somebody's face i suppose and ask um don't be waiting i think i think you have to just be a bit pushy even if that doesn't come naturally to you um and take the initiative there's a lot going on and um, the hr press are, is full of things you know we're going to touch on well-being in a minute that's a, a big topic you know are there things that you can be saying well what are we going to do about that issue in our workplace and can you actually be presenting suggestions as to how the company might take something forward that would enable you the opportunity to then work on that as a project. So I think perhaps people are going to just have to be that much more geared up than than in the past. Um, I think the work is there. I think we're just all spinning so many plates at the moment. Um, that we might not really have the time to create job roles properly and do processes and things around that. So um, there might be more temporary jobs available. Um, and don't be afraid of taking up those temporary jobs. I don't know. What do you think, Gareth?
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Uh, everything that you're saying uh, sort of rings true with with what we're um, experiencing anecdotally, I suppose. Um it is that first question, uh, the future of unemployment, recruitment strategies. Um, I mean, having worked in the recruitment sector for coming up to 20 years, you know, worked through um, recessions in the past, and again, um, recruitment tends to be a very quick and accurate barometer of the economy, um, and there tends to be and, and has been historically and, and certainly we're experiencing a bit of that and move towards uh, temporary and contract um, opportunities over and above permanent in certain sectors. Um, I think the fact that we are, however many months we're into in, into this situation, um, um, if, if, if this question had been posed you know, in March or April, I think we would still be in a lot of head scratching. Um, I think um, what we've all been able to witness is the huge amount of digital transformation that has happened overnight in organisations that ordinarily would have taken an 18-month uh, project team to to, to deliver um, was, you know, they were forced to, to you know, move to online uh, very quickly uh, and very effectively. So that means that in terms of recruitment strategies and job hunting, um, it, it will look like um, it, it's all done online. And I don't think that's going to necessarily change uh, and revert back to, uh, to, to purely face-to-face um, post-COVID. Um, I think the the, the advantages against some of the ones that you described in terms of that um, immediacy and uh, and sense of comfort uh, from from applicants uh, being in the, in their own homes and and being in control of the process a lot more than than turning up to to an employer's uh, premises. I, I think the benefits of that um, have been seen and will probably be continue to be rolled out. Um, impact on new graduates looking for a job. Again, it's difficult to know. Um, now, what what's going to be the case for uh, for graduates uh, next summer? Um, but certainly, um, I would imagine there's going to be less opportunities than there were this year or 12 months ago, um, broadly speaking. Um, and, and again, I think until the the furlough scheme is fully over in in March, um, I think at, at that point um, we will have a, a much truer picture uh, of of exactly how uh, how the economy has been affected and, and how unemployment figures are going are to be um, accurately um, seen going forward. Um, and how should HR graduates gain experience? Um, as, as you said, be proactive, um, chase down opportunities uh, personally, um, And again, anecdotally, we're speaking to, um, we we do a lot of engagement with um, HE and FE uh, institutions um, in terms of employability um, workshops that we deliver to students and getting involved in uh, in schemes and programmes that they're already running as well. Um, And we've seen, and the universities have seen, uh, an increase in take-up from students for events that they're running because they're running them online. Um, Historically, they would have set up a, a, a careers fair or a um, an employability skills workshop on campus in a room and advertised it and had some take up because um, a, students are, are broadly millennials and they do everything online and on their phone anyway, they're much more comfortable in logging on and, and attending a virtual workshop than they would be going into a room and having to introduce themselves to somebody. Um, so. I think that same with recruitment, you know, most organisations are, are already moving their, um, their workplace and their work experience programmes online, um, so be aware of the fact that there are going to be opportunities uh, virtually, uh, and, and again, be proactive to go after them. Thank you, um, if, if there are specific questions, Laura, um, that, that you posed um, that, the, that we haven't quite answered, we'd we love the opportunity to follow up with those.
0: Um, just in terms of you know, anecdotally, obviously when I'm acting for people who have been made redundant um, with settlement agreements and things, when I typically speak to them um, at the beginning, they're very negative about how long it's going to take them to find an alternative job. Um, and I've been surprised through COVID at how quickly people are finding another job um you know i expected it to take longer than perhaps it would have this time last year but i've actually been pleasantly surprised by some of the examples where people feed back to me about what's happening next for them so um you know undoubtedly unemployment is is increasing and i think um it's harder for youngsters who haven't got experience um definitely and um you know, those might be the roles that organisations choose to not um, create in times of hardship. But in terms of people that are losing their jobs, I don't think it's as negative as sometimes the news would have you believe. So hopefully that's a a positive note for us all. Now, Gareth mentioned the um, furlough scheme. And no um, discussion at the moment would be complete about, without probably, probably us all having a bit of a moan about the, um, the, the furlough scheme. Um, I spent one week, is it only last month, writing documentation around the um, job support scheme, having to change it. I wrote it on a Monday. I had to change it on the Wednesday because we had more guidance on it. And then I had to change it on the Friday because we had even more guidance um, on that scheme. And then all of a sudden, by the Saturday, it wasn't even applicable anymore. You could probably hear me screaming from from wherever you are. Um, And of course, we've got the job support scheme back again. Um, It's been interesting this time round how many fewer questions I have received about the new version of the job support scheme um, or the revision to it compared to when we were all going into using it in, um, in, in March. Um, and I think that really illustrates how fewer employers are taking the benefit fit of it um, because, of course, a lot of people planned for the 31st of October and um, made redundancies accordingly. And I was very, very busy at the back end of October, um, particularly with people with settlement agreements where that was the deadline. So, um employers have planned, haven't they, because they've had to, and then there's been this last minute moving of the goalposts again, and, and, you know, HR people weeping the country over as a result of that. Um, It does envisage that employers would take people back on that they have made redundant. Um, I am not sure why any employer in their right minds would want to do that, um, particularly as there are costs involved for employers. It's not just pension and national insurance, but it seems like holiday accrual. You've then still got to bring the employment to an end in March, um, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, why would anybody in their right minds um, be doing that? Um, one question that Tony has asked is around um, whether or not somebody can... Um, you can benefit and claim from HMRC whilst somebody is working out their notice period. And that was one of the big unanswered questions until the direction was um, issued over the weekend. And it is now clear that um, from December, you're not able to bring um, a claim for um, support from H- um, HMRC if you have issued that person with notice so again that will affect lots of employers plans going forward so watch out for that one um i wrote these slides a couple of weeks ago and um you know already it starts to feel perhaps a little bit outdated in terms of you know are we in lockdown are we not what the rules about working um working from home and of course we've had massive shifts this year where we've had everyone working from home then trying to get people back and then people back working from home again um in wales the the guidance has been a bit more stable than in england um where the encouragement is very much to um, facilitate home working um wherever possible and i am starting to see cases um working their way through now where perhaps um there's been uh, disagreement between the employee and the employer over whether or not somebody should have been forced into a workplace and it and it coming out later on down the line. So that's already starting um, to happen. Um, interestingly, I was on a call with ACAS last week and they were saying that the number of grievances, the number of hits to their website um, around furlough, working from home, um, disputes with employers, you know, all of the sort of buzzwords of the moment are reflected in what people are looking at at their on their website and the number of disputes that they're starting to see um, arising. So um, for example, um, I am dealing with a situation where a fixed term contract isn't going to be renewed um nothing to do with covid particularly but um i can see the employees involved perhaps lining lining up to argue maybe that they have been dismissed in connection with Um, raising health and safety issues because they were asked to work from the office at a time when um, the guidance perhaps was actually not to here in Wales and they're they're obviously making that link then and trying to get themselves into that section 44, section 100 of the Employment Rights Act protection and so starting to see those kind of things working their way through. Um, It is worth Looking at the shielding issue again, we did this last time. Um, again, flexing of advice um, to those who were formally told, you know, don't leave home, don't don't see anybody at all. That's been slackened off. Um, really does put people in a difficult position, I think, because they are being asked to um, make a choice between their health and work in lots of cases where employers aren't supportive and aren't trying to find ways around it. It's worth noting that the list of who should be shielding does change as well um, and keeping an eye on that. So, for example, adults with Down syndrome have been added to the list, um, along with people having um, dialysis and long term kidney um, disease. Um, Here in Wales, there's a workplace risk assessment tool. You might not have um, looked at that yet. Um, That is designed to help employees and employers um, in juggling all of the issues that we're facing. Um, We might be seeing more people in this camp, the people who are very afraid, who don't want to come into work, who, we might, being very cynical, decide are perhaps using the issue um, but nevertheless are um, saying that they can't um, attend work due to Covid and I know Shelley asked a question around this. Um, first of all, I think we've got to explore all the background. So Shelly didn't tell me what particular kind of role she was talking about. So, you know, is this a public facing position or is it something where they don't have to be? Um, what is this person's personal situation? So their family background, their own health? health of other people that they might be living with are they living with vulnerable people people who are shielding or having to care for other people because that will give us you know obviously um, an idea of the context in which we are talking and I think we probably talked about this last time in terms of um baby steps with those people you know if people haven't left the house for a long period of time and haven't been you know going out and about um it can feel quite scary for people and that's kind of normal um psychological stuff so can we get them in for a coffee um you know not requiring them to come in to do a whole shift or do a whole day's work but to just come in and speak to us or meet in a in a neutral location so that we can talk through what our covid um, related risk assessments look like um, so that they can see what's being done hopefully physically in the workplace to reassure them and help them feel safe and that might be um, allowing them to speak to other people who are already back in the workplace so that they um, can assess that those people are quite happy about what's going on if people are difficult sometimes i find it's useful to actually co-opt them into the project um so you know if somebody is raising lots of health and safety concerns well, right let's get that person on board and they can actually be part of the team that is tasked with addressing these issues um in order to perhaps stop the negativity and and, and harness some positive energy out of it um so you know what things can we be doing in those baby steps to get them to think about coming back into the workplace and we might need to get medical advice you know often people are um hitting you with the fact that they've got a particular medical condition you might know nothing about it up till now um you certainly won't have the benefit of any expertise about To what extent that particular condition that they're suffering from in their own particular circumstances are at risk or not and what measures might be available or suggested to facilitate a return to work so you know get that medical advice if if necessary, and start looking at what specific adjustments we can make. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling me about an employee who was in this kind of position and they were able to provide them with their own room at the end of a corridor so other people weren't going to be, you know, circulating in that area. They were going to eat their lunch at their desks, they weren't having to go elsewhere, you know, they'd thought through everything about how that person would come into work um, and function. Now, ultimately, we may get to the point where we've tried everything we can and it's still not working. And at some point, it may well be reasonable for us to start saying, you know, these are all the things we've done. um, And this is the stance that you're still taking. And it could become a disciplinary issue at that point. Essentially I think because of the risk of a Section 44 or Section 100 um, claim that I was mentioning earlier, um, a judge is going to want to see that you have bent over backwards to try and address this issue before you get into um, any kind of um, you know, disciplinary which somebody could say was a detriment under Section 44 or dismissal under Section 100. Um, you know there's going to be a big intersection here between the extent to which the job can be done at home effectively or whether elements of it can be so that's going to influence you know what the right thing to do is in in a particular situation but and and, and if you do get really stuck, that's that's the point at which you get some legal advice but um you know that will give you an idea hopefully shelly how to address um that sort of thing um Lots of questions in the last month or so about should we actually be changing our contracts? Because there's one thing in, in March, everybody shifting, pivoting to working from home. We all did that on a sort of goodwill basis without really thinking about the fact that our contract said that our place of work was you know, the office or the factory or wherever. Um, But to what extent should we be actually updating our contracts now and and putting in something about home working, doing things differently? And I've been urging employers to be quite cautious and not run away with themselves here. Um, I think we are still very much in the middle of a crisis. um, And, you know, we've seen already, haven't we, that goalposts move regularly. And I think it would be silly to sort of change everything and then find that that doesn't work again and have to change everything again um so those people who are we're never going to return to the office let's sell it um etc may be being a little bit premature um obviously if we change the workplace completely to you now work from home and that is it that does then have implications if we want to bring that person into the office um, in terms of, we can't uh, force it. Um, if we've reserved the right to, to require them to come into the office, then um, there are gonna be issues around things like expenses when that happens, because if their workplace is home, they'll be able to claim them for travel. So um, what I've been suggesting, and tell me whether or not you think this works for you, is that for now, we retain our contracts Um, with, you know, your base of work, your normal base of work is our office at XYZ premises, um, but you may be entitled to work from home in accordance with our home working policy that we put in place from time to time. And then that gives you the ability to flex on what that home working policy looks like, what the rules in it look like, you know, what financial support or or equipment support you're going to provide looks like etc as this whole area develops um, without you being tied down uh, and pinned to something Um, so hopefully Dawn that answers your your question on um, that issue. Um, your policy can also deal with things like how you apply to permanently work from home, if that's applicable, or what all the implications will be um, for the business, and making sure that um, we're only allowing people to do that if it works for you, because we don't want to to get ourselves tied into knots. Um, I'm sure at the moment everybody is being challenged in this area i think anyone who says they're completely fine is lying um particularly i think if you work in hr we're really tired um we went at this like it was a bit of a sprint and of course it's turning into a marathon and i think um i'm at about the 20 mile mark at the moment and and um, really dragging my feet i i certainly um felt by the beginning of November that I was just tired Um, and I'm sure you guys are experiencing the same sort of thing. Um, I've seen lots of predictions saying, you know, we're all going to be burnt out by January. So I think we've got to be careful. Um, Laura from Tesco has raised an interesting question about employers investing more in um, awareness and schemes. And it would be really interesting if those people who are on the call um, just um, type into the chat function anything um, that you have been doing as an organisation that you have found is working for you to help look after your staff. And then hopefully everyone can pick up some ideas from each other about the things that they've been doing so for example I'll give you one on the weekend I was talking to my sister who works for Lloyds Bank and she was saying that they have now designated um once a week a, a well hour and that is an hour that somebody is entitled to put in their diary um doesn't have to be the same time every week and it's not everybody all at the same time um so That is an hour for the employee to take for themselves, might be going out walking the dog, it might be the opportunity that they get to go and have a cup of tea with, um, you know, an elderly relative that they're um, caring for whatever it's designed for the person to literally take for themselves for their own well-being and i thought that's a really good idea um and she was telling me you know that she'd used her time to do that so just that message of saying to self we want you to be doing this positive thing for your mental health you know once a week um i think is really really important so um i think lots of organizations are starting to recognise that this is an issue and particularly organisations that perhaps have been behind the curve who weren't thinking about it before it's a good thing that they are now starting to think about it and I think we've got a lot of leaders who are more aware of their own well-being and having to think about that and and more aware of the issue as a result Um, I'm not sure we're the whole way there yet because I think a lot of people are aware that we need to do something but aren't um, particularly um, confident about what it looks like in their particular organisation. I am certainly seeing an increase in um, mental health related issues when I'm talking to people. Um, Certainly you'll be aware of the disability angle there, Um, so you know, big part and parcel of what I end up talking about all the time, um, but certainly um, starting to um, filter through, I think, from COVID-related issues. Um, Joe asked a question about creating a specific disability-related policy, and I think the question was um, wanting a steer on trigger points. And I'm not sure, Joe, that I can actually give you the answer that you're looking for. and and i'll I'll, I'll explain why. Um, it, it may be laudable to have part of your sickness absence policy encouraging people to talk about their disabilities and um, you know you being positive about wanting to help people and reasonable adjustments and all of those sorts of things. But I'm not sure we can actually pin ourselves to the mast on what particular trigger points might be used in particular situations. Um, Because, of course, individuals' disabilities will differ from person to person. And um, for that reason, um, very difficult to say what a reasonable adjustment to a trigger point would look like there'll be some disabilities that don't actually affect somebody's absence in which case you probably wouldn't be adjusting your normal trigger points that you might use for anybody with um, absence of a certain level and there will be other disabilities where people do need to take more time out to go to hospital appointments or will have more ill health as a result of their condition maybe they're more um their their immune system's suppressed and they're more vulnerable to catching a cold or the flu or whatever's going around um and the case law tells us that for those individuals we need to get medical advice in relation to that particular um the particular case that i'm thinking of was a case against the department of work and pensions and it was a um case where the individual um, was diabetic and you know there are different kinds of diabetes even so the suggestion was that you, that the employer should have got medical advice saying you know with this particular person in front of us what would you expect their attendance record to look like and the answer from a medic may be actually well-managed, taking their drugs, doing the things that we advise them to do, we might not expect there to be any difference to um, their attendance, in which case you follow your normal procedure. However, they may say, in this particular case, this person may become ill more often, so you would be expected to then make a reasonable adjustment. Um, In terms of what that reasonable adjustment then looks like, um, having scoured all the case law on it, Um, There isn't a particular magic number that I can say to you if your policy is normally that you'll do something after, I don't know, 10 days of absence, what should you adjust it to? Would it be 20 days of absence? Um, There is no magic number. The judges have been very clear that they can't do that either because it has to be a case-by-case assessment. So, I'm wondering if perhaps you're trying to achieve something with a disability policy um, that you can't really achieve, um, so maybe have a, have a think about that issue. Um, domestic violence is um, a topic that we could do a session on separately if everybody wanted to do that. Um, it's something that I must admit hasn't particularly been on my radar um the odd uh, thing will will crop up but um i've had a couple of instances recently of people admitting to me that they'd been in a, a an um an abusive relationship um which were a bit of a surprise at the time and i guess um tested some of my Um, prejudices and assumptions about you know who is a victim of, of domestic violence and that is coupled with um welsh government um having an awareness campaign this year they've been doing quite a lot of work um over the last number of years and the cipd and the commission for equality and human rights have issued a joint um guidance booklet aimed at employers on this issue that has caused me to go away and write some training materials and um, write a policy and things like that. Um, The definition that's used of domestic violence by government is actually really broad and it isn't just about um, violent behaviour of the kind that, you know, you might be calling the police. Um, It talks about um any controlling or coercive or threatening behavior um that can encompass psychological physical sexual financial or emotional um, elements so it really is quite um, broad and um certainly uh, i don't know if any of you have picked up bbc3 have um been running some programs about you know is this coercive control um Aimed at young people to identify perhaps if they are in relationships um, where they're vulnerable. The big thing that hit me when I started reading um, around the issue and the CIPD guide is that 75% of people who are experiencing domestic violence, it follows them into work in some shape or form. And they reckon one in four. Women in particular will experience some kind of abuse at some point in their lifetime. Um, so this might be um, being restrained from going to work and having problems leaving the house, and certainly sickness absence issues. It can be something that's going on in the background that we don't know about. Um, it can be um, physically um being followed to work Um, it can be turning up at work and causing problems for colleagues it can be text messages and calls and monitoring that goes on of devices and you know everything that somebody is doing and i think when we start looking at it like that we start to see how it impacts on us as employers and how actually whilst it's not a problem um that the employer is there to solve of course it's something that may be impacting on the employment relationship um and we have got a part we can play in saying this is something we need to make you know society zero tolerant of and there are some things that we can be doing to support um and certainly the um the un has um spoken out and uh, about employers who are providing financial support to people um, as well, and how helpful that can be. So, if anyone is interested in us talking about that as a separate topic, um I'm more than happy to roll out a session on that if I've got enough people interested. Um, the Information commissioner has recently published their guidance on subject access requests. And um, not a day goes by now without me um, being aware of a subject access request being made. In fact, I think, I, I think I've think i had one this morning from somebody, but I'm not quite sure the phraseology isn't clear whether they're thinking about doing one and threatening me with it or whether they're actually doing it. Um, So up until now, we've been reliant on guidance that was issued pre-GDPR and was actually, you know, quite out of date because of that. Um, The one thing that I would draw to your attention in the new guidance is you'll be aware of our 30-day period from when we've received um, the the request to when we have to um, supply the data that we've been asked for. it's always been the case that the ICO has suggested if somebody writes to you saying, I want all of my data, that we um, go back and say, um, actually, you know, you're asking for quite a lot here. This could be quite complicated um, for us to um, gather everything together. Is there something in particular that you are after because if this has happened on the back of I don't know a redundancy exercise it may well be that that's the area that somebody wants to focus on or a period of time for example for emails maybe the last six months or something Um, and we've always been able to narrow down people's requests that way and what this guidance is now saying is that um, the ICO regards if we go back and we do that that we actually stop the clock whilst we're asking that question and it's only once the answer comes back that the clock gets started again so um, i'm not sort of suggesting particularly that you use this as an extending time mechanism but it is worth knowing that that is how the ico views um, those um, those time frames um, I am offering a webinar on this in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, it is worth getting some training to people on the issue. I've had examples in the last couple of weeks of employers who went away, did their searches and revealed damaging correspondence between, you know, in one case it was um, two managers talking about somebody's disability, making a bit of a joke about it, which, you just know as soon as the recipient um gets their um data if they're shown that email they're going to be saying that's an act of harassment um, in relation to my disability um and another example um leaders in a business talking about how long they're going to keep an employee for um which you know if disclosed fits that narrative of you've had it in for me anyway Um, so managers really need to understand that when they're communicating with each other um, these things are disclosable not only in the employment tribunal potentially um, but also through the subject access request route and those are the sorts of smoking guns that people are looking for when they make um, the request. Um, I've spoken already about claims increasing. Um I would say that I've seen a real shift from October into November of bad behaviours starting to come out the woodwork. Um, so I am seeing, for example, employers who probably know they need to make a redundancy, but they don't want to pay somebody the large sum of money they would be entitled to by way of redundancy because perhaps they've been there a long time and their age um perhaps nitpicking now looking for any old way to manage that person's um performance or finding a conduct issue when there isn't really a conduct issue to try and avoid paying them for example um i've seen some quite bad behaviours from HR as well um, leading up to the 31st of October, you know, sending people um, a settlement agreement on the 30th of October requiring them to have it signed and everything done by the 31st is probably going to be inappropriate behaviour and lose the protection of it being a protected conversation, Um, those sorts of things. it was interesting that I I googled leading in a crisis just um, to see what came up in terms of qualities and um, you know the first two qualities were about you know decision making and leading from the front but the third one was you've genuinely got to care about people and I think because of what I do I get a bit jaded because obviously I see when people are not being cared for and some of the um you know, the, the communications that happen there. So you know, another example was somebody who, you know, we'd sorted out the settlement agreement, it was all agreed, um, normal behaviours to return company property, obviously within a certain time scale. We were in lockdown in Wales and the company car needed to be returned, and the employer happened to be in Bristol. And when I pointed out that it wasn't really um necessary or you know proportionate for this person to be expected to deliver this car to bristol you know being treated as if i was um being ridiculous when you know you and i both know that lease hire car companies will come and collect vehicles from wherever you wherever you want them to um so just some you know people losing their heads almost um behaviors going on and of course Um, We've already had headlines talking about things like the fact that through COVID, through lockdowns, furlough, employees are watching what employers are doing to their colleagues um, or how they've been treated and already starting to when they were sur- doing surveys about how many people plan to move jobs you know that was kicking in and having an effect so um you know your reputation will suffer you do have to sometimes i think um stand up and, and fight for what's right um as well as anything else um again just going to touch on this because if people want a separate session on it I'll prepare a separate separate session on it but um, for those of you who are in the public sector, there's been a lot of talk over a number of years, various consultations and things, about um, whether there should be a cap on the amount of termination pay that can be paid in the public sector. And the new um, law came into force on the 4th of November. Um, it affects schools, but not universities, not further education colleges. Um, Oh, sorry yeah um the nhs it will affect police fire government departments it's complicated so the general principle is that um 95000 is the limit um, but there are a number of um, mandatory and discretionary exemptions in in the legislation um, and certain processes to go through so um, I think it's probably opened up a can of worms um, and um, there will be pathways through all of this and it is going to be a case of case by case working out whether or not something falls into that territory and undoubtedly will affect anyone advising employees as well. Um, so if anyone wants me to do a session on that separately, then I will. Um, I was going to count this morning how many days um, away from um, Brexit we are. I know it was 42 last Thursday when I was um, talking to people so we can say we're into the 30s now Um In terms of us, uh, when we recruit people day one asking people for proof of their entitlement to work in the UK um the position isn't changing on the 31st of December. It's actually um, changing. We've got an extension sort June of. 2021 for those people who are already here to um, get themselves sorted um with settled status as an eu national here in the uk um so we've got a little bit of time on that issue but it is worth saying that from january um we're not going to be able to take in new um, people from europe um, unless they can tick the boxes on a point scheme that is being introduced Um, and what that is doing for the first time is requiring some employers who have never had to um, hold a sponsor's licence in order to employ people from outside the EU up until now You know, they've just never needed to do it. So they've not bothered having one of these licenses and paying the fees involved. More employers now are having to think about going down that route and of course um it can take up to eight weeks to get a sponsorship license sorted i think that number might go through the roof as everyone tries to do it before the end of the year so um just be thinking ahead if you're going to need to do that um
2: Um, just to quickly let you know i've just had a question on the chat group about this as well from patricia yeah um just say because i know you can't see the chat because you're presenting your slides um she's just asked do we need to um, get proof of status from a voluntary trustee who works elsewhere?
0: Um, Not at the moment. Okay, so um, if today we went to everybody that we know working for us that we think might be, you know, originally from the EU um, and said, show us your settled status documentation, I think if we did that today, potentially we would be um being discriminatory against um that person and get ourselves into hot water um so it's not something that we're advising employees to you know go out and start talking to people about today but into next year when um, we are going to need proof from those people from um from the from um june of next year we are going to need to start managing people's expectations about what paperwork they're going to have to give us then um so if you've got a new trustee who is starting now um you should be doing the same checks that you would do for any anybody starting with you now um which is to say where's your evidence of your ability to work in the UK but we shouldn't be picking on people just because we think they're European if that makes sense so um there are a lot of people who I think don't realize or the concern is that there are a lot of people that don't realize that they need to be doing something so the the numbers of people who are here who have been through the process is still on the low side which is a worry so There will be people who think, oh, it's okay, I've been here for 20 years, or it's okay, I'm married to somebody from the UK, or um, I don't need to do anything because I'm already working for you. And that's not true. So we need to start educating people about the need to get themselves sorted and people. Have got gaps in paperwork because they've not kept their national insurance records, or they, you know, they've moved house and they've lost papers, and um, you know they haven't got records of what they've done in between jobs. Or um, people struggle even, don't they, with going online and filling in a form? If um, it's not part of what you do on a day-to-day basis it can be quite intimidating and there have been lots of examples of people ending up with pre-settled status because they filled in the form incorrectly when they should have had settled status and and people need basically need some support through this. Um, So I'm aware that new fields um, solicitors in Cardiff have had some funding from Welsh Government to run um, clinics and webinars and things like that so I'm sure they would be um more than happy to um speak to staff if you've got people in this category but I think anyone in HR who um you know we're more familiar with filling in these forms and things I think you know there is a job for us to do to support um through the process and um, help them get to where they where they should be on it into next year then we are going to have to train our managers on getting the right to work checks done correctly and there will be more guidance being issued on that nearer the time um so um we will obviously pick up on on, on that next year but i just wanted to sort of remind people really of that um that issue because it's something that isn't going to go away and and is getting a bit forgotten I think with with COVID. Um, my final um, slide before I take any questions. Um, Rob Baker asked about IR35, um, so sure everybody's probably inwardly groaning. IR35 is to do with tax, and I'm sure a bit like pensions and tax. Um, we all switch off as soon as we as we hear the word. Um, now, um, the legislation was due to happen this year in April, and um, the position has always been that if a contractor is providing their services to you through a personal service company, so think Joe Bloggs providing his services through Joe, Joe Blogs Limited, up until now, the way the tax law works, IR35 puts the responsibility on Joe Blogs Limited to um, deduct PAYE from Joe Blogs um, if the relationship between that entity and you, the hiring organisation at the end of that chain, looks and smells like an employee. And that's been the case for 20 years, it's just that nobody's done it. And the number of people working through this um, mechanism has increased phenomenally over that 20 year period. And the taxman estimates that they're missing out on something like 10 and a half billion pound or something through through not, um, not getting it um, sorted. So what they did in the public sector a couple of years ago was shift that responsibility away from Joe Blogs Limited and say the responsibility is now on the end user client. So in the public sector, the hospital, um, employing somebody, um, it might be a bank in the private sector, their responsibility to now look at the relationship along the chain and say, actually, this person over here providing their services via a company, a personal service company, Joe Blogs Limited, should that really be being taxed or legislation calls it a deemed employment? Should we be taxing that person PAYE? And um, in order to decide that the end user has to do something called a status determination test and it's essentially looking at weighing up all the different factors like a big weighing scales and saying does this person look like it's an employment relationship completely separate from the law and whether legally they'd have any claims etc this is just a tax question um now this was due to happen in april 2020 it's been postponed until next april so 2021 and i think there are a lot of people at the moment looking at the covid situation keeping their fingers and toes crossed that um it's going to go away again and get pushed back by another year or so um i think anyone hoping that that's going to happen is wishful thinking the reason why i'm saying that is every friday when i get my update about um things that have been happening i have been seeing hmrc just in place all of the different bits of regulations that they need to collect the tax and you know all the rules and things that you know hopefully none of us ever have to read um are all being set up there so it's being geared up for April there's no doubt about that um of course politically at the last minute there could be some kind of change but if i was a betting person right now i'd say i think it is going to go ahead um rob i've done a webinar on this recently um so if you wanted to um have a look at that um get in touch um and my pa can can sort that out for you and um, so that was a quick gallop through everything from my perspective now um i'd like to open the floor up for um Questions, so I will get rid of the slides, so I can see your beautiful faces. Hello, Mary. I can see your right up your nose, Mary. <laughs> so, has anyone got any questions they'd like to ask? And remember, you've been muted. So, if you need to ask a question, you need to take your or put your voice back on before you do it. And I, I, I have
3: a question yeah um on the refusal
4: to return to work what if it's a job that cannot be done from home there's no way it's working on a building site or working doing things but there's no way that that individual could work from home um and the person just doesn't want to come to work
0: yeah. I mean I, I think in some ways it makes it easier for an employer when, when it is that very clear this cannot be done from home. Um because it's just removed one one avenue completely, hasn't it? Yeah. Um so I think what I said earlier really I think a judge is going to expect you to have bent over backwards to try and get that person back in and I think Mm -hmm. it's about us being able to document all the things that we've tried what have we suggested what are the measures that we've offered basically what makes us look good yeah Um, and then if we're still not getting any traction then we are going to get to a point where that person's employment isn't going to be able to continue I mean what we don't have the benefit of yet of course is you know a judicial view of that and where they say lines are going to be drawn um, but I think judges are going to be sensible they are going to understand that um, you know there is a limit to what an employer can do and you can only try Um, And I think people who um, are trying to bring Section 44 claims, Section 100 claims, where, uh, you know, there will be cases where somebody has clearly, you know, raised a concern and then been punished for it. Um, And they, you know, those employers are going to find themselves in hot water. For those employers who are doing their best, trying to do the right thing, um, trying to juggle all of this stuff and then I've had somebody who's just point blank refused, I think it will go in the employer's favour. But it's being able to prove that to a judge, I think. And, you know, often I find whenever, it doesn't matter what the situation is, whether it's a sickness absence management or performance or something like this, actually, if you get a blank piece of paper and you go back through the story of everything that has gone on and just bullet point you know, on this date we offered this, on that date we tried that, we showed you this, we offered that, and it starts to document it in a way that, you know, any advisor advising the employee is going to look at that and go, Ooh, yeah, hang on a minute, this isn't a bad employer. Okay, thank you. I have,
2: I have a raised hand from Nicola. Um, let me see if I can uh, unmute you.
4: It's okay. I've unmuted.
2: Oh, I'm muted. Perfect. Lovely. Yeah.
4: Thank you. Um, yeah. My question is around um, the forthcoming rollout of the vaccinations no. and some of the implications for employers. Um, there was a great article this week. I think it was in People Management about you know what what can employers do? What shouldn't they do? And you know it, it's not going to be too long before that dilemma hits uh, hits HR departments. So I just wondered really, Anna, what your take was in terms of what measures and what extent do you think employers can go to to uh, require uh, their staff yeah. to yeah. have not only have the vaccination but also to declare when they've had the vaccination so that employers are able to sort of, you know, do that that audit, have that, 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 that full picture as to what proportion of their workforce are indeed vaccinated and how that then affects their return to work or return to office plans. Yeah, I,
0: mean, I, I read the same article in People Management, just for those of you who might not have seen it, um, it was working on the basis that their understanding is that the government have been told you can't make this compulsory for anybody. Because of things like the human rights legislation and freedoms and all of those sorts of things. So because at a national level, that's the background, people management were saying that that's probably going to mean that employers equally cannot force anybody um, to, to do this. Um, And, you know, shouldn't be punishing somebody, for example, who has chosen not to have it. Um, I think we're actually going to be quite a long way off employers butting into this issue because it's going to be rolled out in a certain way to certain categories of people so you know people of a certain age people who are shielding you know there's lots of groups who are going to come first before we get to a more free-for-all sort of category where younger people who haven't got health conditions are perhaps um, going to be up next on the list so i think employment know there may be some employers out there who are thinking well you know as soon as we can we're going to buy some of this vaccine and we're going to roll it out like we offer the flu jab to our staff um and again i think you know employers if they've got the money to burn can do that um but it would be the same as offering your flu jab you couldn't force any member of staff to go and have it it would have to be a re-encourage you know this is a benefit to you to your families to your vulnerable elderly you know loved ones over christmas or whatever um to, to try and boost take up but i don't think employers are going to be able to say if you want a job here you must do this or you must be able to satisfy us that you've had the vaccination because i think that that will cause all sorts of human rights issues so um I think it's more encouragement and carrot rather than stick approach, I think. Um, but you're right, it is only going to be a matter of time before it is hitting um, hitting uh, HR desks. In terms of um, can we ask people whether or not they've had it, um, I don't see why. As long as we were only asking the question for the purpose of understanding you know generic um levels um, across the workforce sort of thing um i don't see why an employer can't ask employees to say if they have um but gdpr stuff's going to come in there so we're going to have to be really clear to people about why we are asking what we're going to do with the data and probably um ico would expect you to do it in a generic way um rather than you know keeping a list <laughs> a list of employees. Um, so that's my sort of very quick offer kef on that.
4: Thanks, Anna. I mean, just what, what do you think about sort of you know the health, the health-related industries, care homes, for example? I mean, you'd you'd like to think, wouldn't you, that employees of working in a care home would absolutely go and get themselves yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. But you know, they're saying at the moment that like one in ten individuals will feel or, you know, will oppose going being told they have to get a vaccination uh or, or may resist it for for whatever personal reasons that's quite a large proportion of the population so i just wondered whether you know i, I guess it is possible isn't it that care homeowners um, and, and other sort of uh, organizations linked to care or health may very well put it as part of a contractual requirement Yeah. Um
0: I'm not sure whether they can. <laughs> um I think, you know, that would be capable of challenge perhaps. Um I, I mean I think I think again employers are better off working in a positive educational way with people rather than trying yeah. to punish somebody for doing it. Um but yeah, it was interesting. I heard a Radio 4 programme um talking about the sort of bubonic plague and stuff, and they were talking about the first vaccines and um the extent to which there was objection to it. And it was really interesting that the same proportion of people, you know, back in 1790 were um saying the very same things that you see on Facebook written by anti-vaxxers now. Um, and, and that has always been there there's always been that proportion of people who um who were afraid of a vaccine who have other reasons you know it's all a conspiracy by bill gates or whatever um so um we have got to be careful to understand that you know people are allowed to believe what they want to believe and we can't make people do things but um I think encouragement is the way to way to go. I mean you just thought a lot of people working in care having been through what they've been through in the last year like you say would be when can I get my vaccine rather than I don't want it. Um,
4: Yeah it's encouraging to know even even without social media with one in ten people objecting to vaccination to the bubonic plague that we still managed to eradicate it so that is comforting
0: exactly. i was just going to say you know actually once we get to a certain level of vaccination across the country it, it's less of an issue isn't it it is yeah yeah, yeah. so anyone Thank else you. got their, their hand up i can't i can't see everybody obviously i can only see uh, um, I,
2: there's a question from emma nash just in the meeting chat can you see that anna
0: Let's have a look. Uh,
1: Okay, so
0: so we've got somebody going into homes on a daily basis, and a bit of a tension between employees not feeling particularly safe, and an employer then um, threatening them with with discipline reaction if they don't carry out their job Uh, it's
3: it's probably more for the safety of the public i think that they're concerned about is that they're visiting homes you know with internal meters because there's still a lot of them um they're not wanting to go and spread it to the people there and there has been one case where um the people in the household have said oh yeah it's safe to come in The person's gone in and it's not my other half, it's in North Wales, but the person's gone in. And then when they're coming out, um, the family have said, oh, sorry, uh, meant to tell you, yeah, we are self-isolating. One of us has got COVID. And 10 days later, this person's now had um, a positive test. So, you know, I think they're more concerned about spreading it from house to house rather than themselves to a degree. I don't, don't know to what extent
0: any of you have read around what they've been doing in Liverpool with the flow test where they've been sort of testing the population generally rather than just the people who think they mm. might have an issue and the high number of asymptomatic people that they found are carrying COVID or have had it or have got it, but have no idea. That yeah. They do, um, is obviously starting to change the thinking around mm. this is an issue, but I mean, you know, the scenario that you're talking about there, um, it potentially affect anybody who is facing the public in some shape or form yeah, that's as right. part of their job you know those of us who, we're all sat in bedrooms and things various some of you see some of your kitchens and you know <laughs> great because we, we're okay aren't we we're not being put in that position but lots and lots of people are being put in that um mm-hmm. you know am I a risk Are they a risk um, position? And um, essentially, um, the government have, in a way, shoved all the responsibility back on employers and gone. You do the risk assessments. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guesstimate what's going on here. Um, And employers have done their best. If they're a responsible employer, Um, some I'm sure have done nothing at all. Um, But, you know, effectively everybody is then in that massive risk position, aren't they? Mm. Um, I think what an employer can do where they've got specific issues like you go into a home and then somebody tells you something after you've just finished, they can have protocols around what you do in that scenario then. But in terms of um, has that person got a potential claim, I don't really think they do, unless we can show that the evidence is they're being put in a really dangerous position. Um, I mean, what is being asked of people before visits are undertaken?
3: other you than know. to ask whether they're set whether it's safe to come in and whether anyone's had covid which is also uncomfortable i think about asking yeah
0: so i mean as a personal protective measure i might be saying well you know before you cross the threshold make sure you've said has anyone in the house got a temperature is anyone that you know yes that might be annoying to people but at the end of the day it's your safety um and uh, you know, I know. I the dentist phoned me the other day before I was back to go the next day just to double check that, you know, no one in the house was should have been isolating. So, you know, I think that's all people can do really. But it is difficult. form. Any any uh, any further conversations? Questions from anyone? well if any of you um think of something afterwards that you think oh I wish I'd asked Anna that you know where I am um certainly all the faces who I can see on my screen at the moment are all people who it's lovely to see your lovely faces actually um I don't think I've ever seen Tony with his hair that long before (laughs) um and I guess this wraps up 2020, doesn't it, James? It
2: does. Yeah, the
0: final yes. one. Um, yeah,
2: thank you so much, for everyone, for joining and for your questions and submitting everything beforehand and sort of getting involved during as well. It's been great.
0: And we'll, um, we'll get planning for
2: 2021. Yes. Yeah. We'll send some emails out as usual once we've got some dates. Yeah. Um, and just from this, I'll do the same thing as before. I've been recording it, so I'll pull the audio and put it up mm-hmm. as a podcast um i've got about 10 pages of notes which i'll type up and i'll package it all up and send that out to everyone as well so you can share it with your teams um but yeah thank you